will be in 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5. And as you're turning there, let me just remind you that 1 Peter is a letter, an epistle written by the ancient missionary and apostle Peter to a group of struggling and scattered Christians, and he has helped them so much throughout this letter, and he has helped us as well. Let me pray for the Holy Spirit's help today, and then we'll get to work. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and illuminate these texts to us. We ask that we would be informed in our knowledge of Scripture, transformed by the renewing of our mind, conformed to the image of Christ, and recommissioned on the Great Commission. Lord, help me, frail as I am, to serve us well in this time. In Jesus' good name, amen. Now, before we jump into this today, I want to let you know that this passage will be somewhat different than all the others that we've looked at up to this point. And there's a couple of reasons why. First, we're going to focus today only on five verses, so very tight, compact message here. But also, the first four verses are directed to a very specific group in the scattered group of people that Peter was addressing. He is addressing the elders, the leaders of the church, uh, churches, if you want to look at it that way, that were scattered about in that area. And I think the temptation for us would be, as we hear this, to go, well, I'm not an elder, so I'm going to check out for most of this message. That would be a grave mistake for a couple of reasons. First, because this is the Word of God. It's living and active. It's able to pierce even to the marrow, the Bible says. And so anytime the Word is spoken, we need to pay attention to it for all of the spiritual benefits that it would provide to us. Second, because we are all in this together as a church, whether you are part of Refuge and watching this or you're a part of another church, you as a congregant, as a member, work in concert with your leaders, with your uh, elders to accomplish whatever it is that God has given your particular church to do. So we need to listen to this uh, as congregants and think like this. Hey, if my elders are being told these specific things, God must think that they're very important. I want to support them. I want to encourage them. I want to pray for them. Even as we hear this, and I can tell you, as an elder, as a leader in God's church, we want that, we need that, and we can't do this without you. We are in this together. Also, uh, I think there's some specific benefits here, particularly to men. These are the kind of qualities as men who want to lead our families and uh, shepherd our workplaces and so on, like Jesus would have us lead. There's some overlap here. Also for wives, this is the kind of behavior that you want to encourage your husband toward. You want to support him. You want to pray for him. You want to help him lean into this reality. And also even for younger men and single women, Guys, young guys, these are the kind of men you want to become. And young ladies, these are the kind of men that you want to search out and marry someday if that is God's will for you. So this is certainly a message not just for elders, but for everyone. And then when we get to verse 5, then we get specific instruction that goes beyond elders. But I want to front load that because there is such a specific focus here on elders as it appears in the text. Now that being said, we will only have two points today. One will come from the first four verses. The second will come from the fifth verse. And I think that they will be practical and portable and helpful to us. Let's go ahead and jump in right here in verse one. So, so he's building upon what he said last week, what he's been saying up to this point, because all that was true, now this. So I exhort the elders among you 
as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So this is quite the setup that we have here from Peter. And I think there's at least two things we need to pay attention to. First, we got to ask and answer that question, what is an elder? Like I said, it's a, it's a leader. Uh, the word also could be translated shepherd, uh, overseer, bishop, depending upon your tradition. You, you find a lot of different words used for this, but it is the, the group of leaders uh, that would be on top of the organizational chart, so to speak, that God has entrusted uh, to lead what is ultimately His church. The word elder emphasizes their spiritual maturity more than their age. And almost all uses of this word are in the plural. So I think that church government, if you want to call it that way, is set up best when there is a plurality, a multiplicity of uh, qualified leaders that God has put in place uh, to, to lead, to guard, to guide, to feed, to shepherd the church. And so when Peter's talking about this group of people, that is who he's talking to. And, and, and he says, I exhort, I encourage, I beseech the elders among you. But then also the second thing to pay attention to here is look at how Peter describes himself. He says, as a fellow elder and a witness to the sufferings of Christ. So it is very important to understand here that even though Peter was an apostle, he was given this unique authority by God. He, he's pinning what we now have as scripture. So this is a, this is a, a, a high exalted man in, in some capacity. He also understands he is not above those to whom he is speaking. If you think of it like this, he's a general, but he's also among the soldiers. And I think that shows great uh, humility on his part. I think that shows great understanding of his calling, of his gifting, of his commission, his charge from God. But it also shows, as, uh, 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 as some would tell us, that he's not above his raising, so to speak. And also the second piece here, the witnessing, witness of the sufferings of Christ. I think what he's talking about there is that he was an eyewitness to those horrible last days and hours in Jesus's life. Now, you remember this story if you've been around the Bible. Peter was there, but then he wasn't there. He denied Jesus three times before the end of his life, just like Jesus said he would. And Peter seems to be recalling this as a reminder of God's grace and restoration in his life. Perhaps he's even communicating that to these folks to say, listen, I know some of you, you, you fumbled the football in the midst of this persecution, but God has grace for you. Don't give up. Keep going. We're in this together. And, and also it's possible that he's saying, listen, I know about your suffering. I know about the things that have happened to you and your families. And so those are the sufferings of Christ. They're the sufferings on Christ's behalf. And I see that. I know that. I'm with you. I'm for you. But then he also opens the camera a little wider here, and he says, a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. So what Peter is doing there is the same thing he did last week. He's talking about uh, the, the, the glory that is to come when Jesus returns and the reward that is to come for those who are faithful. And he is highlighting that as something to help pull them forward and also remind himself. So it's the same thing that we've seen time and time again where the New Testament writers use the return of Christ as somewhat of an anchor point to pull struggling Christians along. So when we take all this together, we understand who he's addressing and we understand who he is as God's spokesman. 
And that sets us up for verses 2 and 3. Look at this. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you, exercising oversight, not under compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not for shameful gain, but eagerly, not domineering over those in your charge, but charge, but being examples to the flock. So taken together, now we're ready for our first point, and it's this. Elders are to shepherd God's church, God's way, so that they might receive God's reward. <coughs> Elders are to shepherd God's church, God's way, so that they might receive God's reward. Now let's unpack this a bit here. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. This word shepherd occurs in Jesus's command to Peter. You remember that? Jesus, uh, he tells Peter, uh, Peter, feed my sheep. It also appears in Paul's charge to the Ephesian elders uh, in Acts chapter 20. <clears throat> and it does uh, exactly what I said uh, a few moments ago. It says that it is to protect, to lead, to guide, and to feed the church. <clears throat> and so... When we think about this here at Refuge, uh, the way I see uh, the, the primacy of my ministry is doing what I'm doing right now. My most important responsibility, it's not my only responsibility, but the, the, the big E on the eye chart, so to speak, is feeding our church from the Bible. And that's also why we discuss uh, the sermons and community group. That's also why Laurieann leads a, a multi-tiered women's ministry focused on people hearing the Word. That's why David does what he does with the men, the, the monthly meetings, the people getting together to talk about Scripture. All these different aspects of our ministry surround the Word of God because that is the primary charge that God has given us uh, to do. It's not the only thing that God has given us to do, but God speaks to His people primarily through His Word, <coughs> and so we need to be about that. So it's no surprise why uh, uh, Peter would be saying, shepherd the flock of God that is among you, and do that through the Word. Now also, this concept here of exercising oversight uh, this is where you get in a little bit more of that, that kind of overseer, bishop idea. And this includes a number of things. It means guarding the doctrine of the church, but it also means kind of directing the ministry, uh, overseeing the finances that come in as we all give each month to, to keep the ministry going. Uh, the elders have got to decide what, what goes where, what do we need to spend, uh, what are our bills, all that kind of stuff and move in that direction. So we have to oversee that. It also includes uh, looking out for the community groups, looking out for the children's ministry. Hey, what's being taught over there? Uh, what are the kids learning? <clears throat> and so all these things taken together, it, it is very important and very heavy work. And just like I said at the outset, our great plea to you is pray for us in this. We know that we don't always get it right, uh, particularly in this season of just immense struggle that we've been in coming through the coronavirus for as many years of training and experience as I have, guess what? I was never taught anything about how to go through a pandemic. Uh, but we are in this together, and we need to pray for one another, and we ask you as your pastors, pray for us. We want to live into what God is talking about here. We want to shepherd the flock that is among us. We want to exercise oversight, and we beg for your prayers uh, to, to, to be able to do that. And here's the good news. We know uh, that so many of you are praying for us uh, because you tell us, and we are so thankful. 
and I have been so uh, encouraged uh, it is I'm continuing in this road to recovery. I, I, I hope it's going in the right direction. It, it seems like it is, but it's still very uncertain. Please continue to pray for me. Uh, we want to do the best we can, even under some very difficult circumstances uh, that all of us have been laboring under uh, for quite some time. And so we are in this together uh, as we as we do this. Now, <clears throat> beyond that, after he's told them who they are, so to speak, told them who he is, now he's told them what to do, uh, he's going to give some qualification of how to do it. And they're directives of things to be about <coughs> and also to avoid. And let's take a look at it together. It says, not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Now, there's a little debate here on exactly what he means, not under compulsion, uh, the way we would use this language today, <coughs> it means someone who's not being forced, that there's nobody standing behind the elders cracking a whip going, hey, you know what? You need to do this. Remember, it's important. So certainly, I think there's an element of that. But then some other translators, Calvin, for example, looked at this and said, you know, this is about laziness. You, you don't want lazy elders. And that is also certainly true. <coughs> you want people that have a call from God uh, have a desire to do the work and that you don't have to be standing over them all the time saying, hey, don't forget you got to do this. Uh, and by God's grace, I'm happy to report that's certainly what we have uh, here. And also this idea here, as God would have you, kind of couple this back to what we heard before, whose flock is this anyway? It's God's flock. Who should direct, who would want the flock led in a certain way? God would, because it's God's flock. So I think there's a word for us there as elders. I think there's a word for us there as church members that when we talk about refuge or you talk about your church, we're not talking about our church. We're talking about God's church. And so we, we can't just do whatever we want. We can't just say whatever we want. We need to do and say what God wants done and said. And so that makes things like church membership really important. That makes things like committing to a local church and saying, hey, I'm going to be here. That makes it really important. That means that we don't just bounce out when things get tough. But the, the goal and the guide would be, hey, stay. Let's work things out. Let's work on these things. That means finding a place to serve. Very important. That means investing financially in the church. Uh, very important. Because at the end of the day, this is God's flock. It's God's church. And it needs to be directed in the way God would want. So that's his charge to the elders, but goodness, what implications there are for all of us as we understand that. Now, what else does he say here? He says, not for <coughs> shameful gain, but eagerly. And what he seems to be getting at there is uh, that the elders should not be unduly or sinfully motivated by money. Now, that doesn't mean that they can't get paid. Uh, the early church leaders were clearly paid. Uh, in fact, Scripture gives clear directives, 1 uh, Corinthians 9, also 1 Timothy 5, that, that folks that are uh, elders that are, that are particularly doing teaching, they need to be compensated and compensated well. Like that's, that's what he's saying in those passages. But at the same time, the motive should not ever be money, that elders shouldn't do this uh, just for a paycheck. 
And on top of that, in Peter's day and Paul's day, ministering, you know, same same time, kind of overlapping there, uh, there was a big problem that still exists today, sadly, about false teachers being motivated by money. And I'm not going to get into who I think that is and isn't. I'm just saying that's that's an issue. It was back then. It is today. And what elders should be driven by is a passion for God's glory, a commitment to God's word, and a desire to steward and shepherd this flock that is among us. And some of the ways that we try to do this here, we have multiple layers of financial safeguards in place in this church. Um, as a lead pastor, I don't have access to the money. David handles all that. Um, I don't have a church credit card. Everything we do is uh, an accountable reimbursement thing. That, that's a best practice that lots of churches use. On top of that, I don't just randomly every year say, hey, what do I want to make this year? We don't do that. We uh, have went through an extensive uh, set of research processes to try to figure out you know, before we ever moved here to plant the church, uh, you know, what 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 is what is the 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 kind of the general amount of money that people make in this area, and then also we've tracked a metric that is used widely throughout one of our church planning networks, Acts twenty nine, uh, and it's a, an objective metric that we we just use, and so we've done everything we can to protect ourselves uh, as an organization in that way, so that we can live in line with what Peter is talking about here. And through your generosity, the church continues to move forward and persevere. And so we are thankful and we are doing our best to, to live into what he's talking about here. Now, the next thing that he gives here is he says, not domineering over those in your charge. And, and what this word literally means, it means not someone who lords over the people. And I think a modern equivalent with this would be kind of um, a bully someone whose leadership has gone to their head and they strut around and bark at people and, and just a very domineering style of leadership. Uh, we, we certainly don't want to be about that. That's not uh, what Peter wanted them to be about. And that is, that is a warning for anyone uh, in church leadership, but I would say even further in any kind of leadership. Because uh, you know that old adage that says, uh, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And we would just want to recognize that we're all sinners. We all need the immense and abiding grace of God. And we want to uh, uh, stand against that anytime that we see it. And we certainly don't want to be about that as pastors. And I can report to you that among the men that we have, it's a very collegial atmosphere. And uh, very frequently in our meetings, you know, somebody will come up with an idea and say, I see what that, I see that, but how about this? And it, there's a very good vibe between us as men uh, as we try to make decisions uh, to, that, that goes exactly opposite uh, of the kind of bullying kind of leadership that Peter would have been decrying. So um, we, we want to continue to live into that. And on the positive side here, what does he say? He says, instead or but, being examples to the flock. And the word here that he uses uh, denotes a model or a pattern that is to be copied. It's almost like a, like a tracing pattern that, that our hope would be, though radically imperfect as we are, that the folks in our church could look at us and, and be able to say, uh, that we would be able to say, like Paul said, follow me as I follow Christ. 
It's the same directive he gave to Timothy. It's the same directive he gave to Titus. And listen, we know that we're not perfect, but that we would say, hey, listen, Jesus is perfect. We want to follow him. We're trying to follow him. Let's do this together. We'll provide the best example that we can. Let's go in this direction. And that's the kind of leadership that uh, Peter is exhorting them to. And toward that end, what does he say in verse 4? He says, And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. So here's yet another example of think about Jesus returning and let that guide you like a north star. Let that pull you forward uh, and, and inspire you because this world is not all that there is. This time is not all that there is. Uh, there is a forever coming, and those who are faithful, God is going to reward them uh, with eternal life. And then some would say very, very specific rewards on top of that based on their faithfulness. And when you dig into this, he's doing what all the New Testament writers do. He is using the return of Christ and that which it will provide to inspire, to encourage people that are suffering. And listen, what a great word for all of us. I've spoken to you about the difficulty of pastoral leadership, but you know some of what that's like in your own life. If you lead anything, whether it's a family, uh, it's a team at work, uh, if you just lead yourself, you know how difficult it is. And so I think a good uh, reminder for us here would be, listen, Jesus is coming. Reward is coming. Let's press into Him. Let's press into one another. Let's be faithful. Let's persevere. And let's see what only God can do, not just in our church, but in our family and in all of our lives. Now, when you take all this together, I want to ask a couple of kind of broader application questions uh, for all of us. Uh, I've tried to make application as we go along through this, but I want to ask a couple of questions. Let's kind of think uh, synergistically here. Let's bring together what we've learned so far. And I want to ask just a couple of questions. So let's go back and think about that, that financial part. Uh, I told you what we do here at the church to keep things on the level and so on. But I think that question of, are you being unduly motivated by money is a question that every person ought to ask because all of us can fall victim to this. And let me tell you something. One of the occupational hazards of living in and around Williamson County has to do with this very thing right here because everything is so nice uh, the the median income is extremely high. The housing prices here are almost indescribable of what of what has happened. And so it is very easy for even people that deeply love Jesus and the Bible and all that to, to just devolve into some kind of keeping up with the Joneses and everything being about money. So I think that we need to be gently warned and being put on alert here to go, hey, remember, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. I can't be all about money. Uh, I got to have it. I got to pay my bills. Peter knows that. God knows that. But I can't be driven by the almighty dollar and it can't be my chief motivator. And so that applies at home. It applies at work. Uh, we want to be faithful. We want to be good stewards. And we want to always be aware 
that we are walking, to use a uh, metaphor here, we are walking next to a beautiful ocean here in Williamson County. We need to be thankful for it. We need to be uh, just amazed that we get to live here. But we also need to know that there are some sharks in that water that we need to be mindful of. And so I think the way he frames this here and talking about it, we'd be wise to pick up on that and keep that before us. Now, the second thing I I would want to pull out here, I kind of mentioned this one a little bit already, is to to think about how you lead. And again, this is not just for supervisors and team leads at work. Uh, If you're a stay-at-home mom, uh, homeschooling her three kids, you are still leading that little band of uh, students, so to speak. And uh, that it certainly goes for people in formal leadership in a variety of capacities. And I think we always need to be reminding ourselves that we need to lead as someone who is being led. We need to lead as someone who is being led. That Jesus has charted the course for us. He's given the Holy Spirit to us. He has given us his scripture. He's taught us how to lead. He's taught our elders how to lead. And we need to live into that, follow that, and repent when we don't live into that. And I wish this weren't the case because I wish I didn't make so many mistakes, but I find myself all the time talking to my kids and saying, hey, you know what? I said the right thing the wrong way about whatever we were talking about. I am sorry. Please forgive me. Let's do better and let's move forward. And I think that kind of trying to walk in the light, even as a parent, uh, I think that is, that's borne some good fruit in our family. And that kind of habit and that kind of discipline uh, it certainly uh, bears dividends in the home. Uh, and as appropriate, it bears great dividends in the workplace. So my encouragement would be, let's take what Peter said to the elders here, elders hear it for sure, and then also let's apply it as appropriate within all of our contexts of leadership as well. Okay, so that being said, that's the first four verses. Let's talk about this fifth and final verse. Peter says here, Likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another, for God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. So, second point is this. Follow your leaders and walk in humility. Follow your leaders and walk in humility. Now, when he uses that, uh, the verb there, be subject to the elders, uh, he's talked about being subject to, to those in authority over you many times in this letter. So now he's applying it specifically uh, within the church. And uh, what he's trying to prevent here is sadly what I have seen in so many of my friends' churches. Now, thankfully, we've not experienced this this at Refuge, but I've heard these stories and I've seen these stories. I was talking to a brother this week that that was having to deal with this exact thing um, where you you have a group of people or a faction of people that, you know, the pastor's trying to lead in a certain direction and uh, they're just, we will not do this and forming these, it's just a mess. And are there times if the pastor goes off the rails, if the elders try to teach things that aren't in the Bible? Yeah, sometimes you don't have a choice but to have some conflict. But generally speaking, it should not be that way. And that's what Peter is saying. He's saying that, that uh, congregants, those who are younger, if he's saying elders, and then he's talking about uh, younger folks, it, it probably means literally 
younger men here. He, he might even be speaking to a or speaking to a specific situation where there was some kind of mutiny. Uh, he could also just be speaking generally of, uh, you know, sometimes younger folks think they've all got it figured out and we know what to do and blah, blah, blah. Then they get a little older and realize that life is really hard and complex and you don't know what to do. That was certainly my case. And he's just reminding them, listen, you got to follow your leaders. And uh, I think so on the on the front end here, we need to be super thankful that God has given us a, a church that, that gets along and that there isn't this big conflict and so on. Praise God for that. But then also, I think that we need to dig in a little deeper to what he says here. So he says, be subject to the elders. But then he uses this fascinating language, fascinating language about humility. He says, clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. And then he gives this Old Testament reference for God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble to drive this home. And this, uh, the word that he uses here for uh, to be clothed with literally means to tie something on oneself with a knot or bow. So if you think about how these the folks dressed back then, it was like this long toga almost looking thing that they would tie things to themselves. And he's saying, listen, tie humility onto yourself. Like if you're Batman, your belt that you need needs to have the fruit of the Spirit on it, and it needs to have a humility tied to you. And I love that imagery because it shows how important it is. And it also says here, uh, toward one another. And I just think about in this day and age of rage uh, that we seem to be living in, and it comes from all sides, man. It comes from the left. It comes from the right. Now you got people even in the middle that are yelling. It seems like everyone is yelling about something and everyone lives their life in all caps and banging the keyboard. And I, I just think about what an oasis of grace refuge has been and is and could be and should be and will be if we walk in this kind of humility. He's laying this out here in the context of, uh, you know, congregants and elders. But man, think about the harvest that will produce in our community groups. If everyone walks in humility with one another, if everyone is seeking to outserve one another, if everyone is seeking to try to understand where the other person is coming from, even if they don't agree with what they said, if we seek to walk in humility, that is basically the exact opposite of what the culture has to offer. And which of us watching this, who would not want to be a part of that? Who wouldn't want to be a part of that? That's awesome. It's, it's like the, the opposite of what's happening in the world. And that's what Peter wanted for this group of congregations. So he's saying, elders, listen, lead like Jesus, be like Jesus, don't be bullies, don't get into weird stuff with the money, shepherd the people, preach the word, do these things, and congregants, listen, walk in humility so that this works, so that this is a, a, a biosphere of God's grace, so that this is green pastures and still waters, so that, so that when you come to church, it is a, it's a place of that we can take a deep breath together. That this is a gospel family on mission together. And that, that we really would see, 
what only God can do, because this is probably not happening anywhere else. That there's a true sense of unity that comes through humility, and God is pleased, and the people are helped, and it's just wonderful. That's what Peter wanted for those ancient Christians. That's what Peter wants for our church today under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. So, let me ask this. Is that what you want? That's what I want. I want to walk in that kind of humility with the other elders. I want to walk in that kind of humility with the church. I want to walk in that kind of humility before my watching neighbors that don't know Jesus. Because that's where God's anointing and blessing is going to flow. It always flows down to the lowest place. And friends, when we hear what's in this passage, how in the world are we going to get it? There is no way that we can muster this up on our own. We cannot pull ourselves up by our bootstraps far enough to be the kind of elders that this passage describes. We just can't. There's no way that you can pull yourself up by your bootstraps to, to be the kind of congregant that God wants you to be. It's impossible. All of us together, we're too big of sinners. We have too many personality flaws. There's no hope for us on our own. But there's plenty of hope for us in Christ. Because see, the Lord Jesus is the ultimate elder. And every place that we might fail as your pastors Jesus succeeded. He always shepherded God's flock perfectly. He still does. He never misused the money. He never led in a way that was bullying. He never stepped out of line in any way. And in this very moment, He is caring for God's flock. He's caring for us right now through His Word going forward. And we can trust that Jesus because He never failed. And we think about this, this bit here about humility. Who better should we ask, should we follow, should we look to as the ultimate example of humility other than the Lord Jesus? There isn't one. Because what did Paul tell us over in Philippians chapter 2 in the quintessential passage on humility? He said this, Beginning in verse 6, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus laid everything down so that God's glory might be taken up that God's flock might be lifted up, that you and I might be brought up so that we might be saved. So friends, as we learn about elders today, we look to the ultimate elder. As we learn about humility today, we look to the ultimate humble one who is the Lord Jesus. Do you know Him today? Have you come to the place where you turned aside from trying to save yourself and you let Jesus save you? Have you admitted that you're a sinner? Have you believed in the truth of the gospel? Have you committed your life to Him? If you haven't yet, 
then friend, let today be the day of salvation. Put your faith and trust in Jesus and shoot us an email, refugefranklin at gmail.com. We want to help you on your spiritual journey. If you do know him, friends, how is the Lord speaking to you today? Is Jesus calling you to a greater sense of prayer and partnership with your pastors? Oh, I hope so. Is Jesus speaking to you about your own use of money, about your own use of leadership, about how you work in the workplace, how you lead your family, whatever it is that Jesus is saying? Oh, friends, let's respond. Let's lean in where the Spirit is leaning in on us today. And let's see what only God can do in our lives and in our church. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for these moments that we've had today before you through your word. We pray that you would speak to us, that we would respond, and that you would glorify yourself in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' good name. Amen.